Hey, hey, and welcome to episode number 81 of the, the Brave What If Show. Today, I talk with Lauren, and she shares her story of grief and widowhood. Before we dive into her story, I just want to remind you that your reviews and your feedback help the show so much in expanding its reach and being able to help other widows and being able to serve others that are out there in the community that are looking for help, that are looking for good, you know, informational content. And these stories are so impactful. I hear feedback almost every day from someone who really resonated with a story, who came across the Brave Widow show just because someone shared it or because of a, a comment or a review that they had left. And so please know that you doing the simple task of leaving a review, of engaging with the content, leaving a comment, sharing it, those simple steps can do so much to expanding the reach of the Brave Widow show and ultimately expanding the impact that these stories can have with other widows and helping them not feel so alone. Welcome to the Brave Widow Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Jones. We help young widows heal their heart, find hope, and dream again for the future. All right, let me introduce you to Lauren McGuire. Lauren lost her husband to fentanyl poisoning on August 25th of 2021. At the time, their daughters were 11, 18 months, and five months. Now just think about that for a minute. Losing your spouse and going through all of the craziness of widowhood with an 11-year-old, an 18-month-old, and a five-month-old. All right, let's dive into Laura's story. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of The Brave Widow Show. Today, I have a special guest with me, Lauren, and I'm excited for you to hear Lauren's story and some of the challenges that she and her family have had to overcome. So Lauren, welcome, and thank you for coming thank on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So I know our audience would love to know um, more about you, your background, and then we can really just dive into your story wherever you'd like to start. Okay. Well, my name is Lauren McGuire. I lost my husband to fentanyl poisoning on August 25th of 2021. Um, we have three daughters who, I mean, since his passing, it's been definitely challenging, juggling, you know, everything and, and dealing with the grief. But luckily, I have a supportive family. They don't live too far. So they've really been, you know, so helpful not just with the kids, but, you know, being a, a listening board for me. So, yeah. Oh, oh, that's good that you've had a lot of support. And I think grieving with, ch with children is challenging. Like in some ways it's helpful because oh. you have them, like you got to keep going. On the yes. other hand, sometimes yes. it's hard because you got to keep going. <laughs> so I, it's like, I just, I can't stay in bed and just wallow for a day. Like I, I don't have that, you know, option. So I totally yeah. understand that. <laughs> Definitely. So tell us a little bit about how you met your spouse and, and what, like, what was it about him that you just thought, okay, he's the one. Sure. 
Um, so I am 36 and Nate and I grew up together. So I met him, you know, to be honest, I don't even remember how we met. Um, I was about 13 or 14 years old. I think what it was is we had um, similar friends. So we would, you know, see each other at events or um, we'd hang out, you know, at the skate park as kids after school. And so we just kind of met that way. And then growing up, we always had the same core group of friends. So we would, you know, go to concerts together. We would, you know, celebrate birthdays. Um, we would do like friends Thanksgiving um, during the holidays. Very cool. So we really just, we grew up together. And I think what happened is in 2018, I wanted to purchase a home and where my family lives in Denver Metro, it's, you know, super expensive, like anywhere else, I guess. So I moved to Colorado Springs about an hour south and I had bought my townhome and Nate had already lived here, you know, so being friends, we're like, oh, this is cool. We can, you know, hang out, you know, get dinner, watch, you know, movies. And so that's kind of how this whole thing started was just simply from a pretty solid friendship. Okay. And what's something that you just loved about him and your relationship and just really made him special to you? Oh my gosh. Um, Nate was one of those people that he was so full of energy. Like he, you knew when Nate was around, he was vibrant. He had such a good personality, such a good sense of humor, um, just somebody that you really loved being around someone who is just so much fun. And I think, you know, knowing him so long and just, I just grew to love that aspect of his personality a lot. And that, you know, went over into our romantic relationship as well. Oh, that's awesome. I love those big vibrant personalities. Uh, I think it does make the hole it leaves feel a little bit bigger because maybe they have yeah. a big laugh or they're, you know, the, the right. center of attention all the time. Yes. So that does make for an interesting dynamic shift, but uh, it sounds like you guys just really had a lot of fun and yeah. um, just a very colorful, beautiful relationship. Yeah, he was great. Um, I did know from a very young age that unfortunately he did have some issues in his childhood, which led him to substance abuse. I think he said he was uh, 12 when he first tried, it was um, crack. So like a, a hard substance at such a young age because he didn't have the tools to work through that trauma and, and get the help. So that's what the crutch that he had that he used And how did you feel, you know, when you learned that about him or when, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys would talk about it, you know, what, what were some of your thoughts there? I just, I felt so bad because here was this great person that was really suffering internally. Um, Nate was not always under the influence. He wasn't always looking for ways to, to get high. He's what I would call more of a chronic relapser. So he would have, you know, months and months of sobriety and then he would have a relapse and then he would, you know, be getting high for a few days and then he would get clean, be sober for a few months. Like it was just a cycle. 
and you know he hated it he hated using um i i was weary starting a relationship with him for that reason because that that is a lot you know to to love someone and try to build a future with somebody who who has those issues yeah. so that was definitely you know something i did i talked about with him and he did say he was going to try you know to get it under control um, but it was something that throughout our relationship, it, it happened several, several times. So, so that was hard. That's it's hard. Yeah, that it is hard. And it's hard to imagine, you know, being at a place where you feel that that's your, um, solution and that's really what yeah. gets you through. So I can't pretend to, uh, that I can understand what it's like to be there, but I know that it has to be a pretty dark place and a, a yeah. deep place where people just really struggle with some of those addictions. Um, yeah. Did you have any uh, issues with people around you not being supportive or people saying, well, he has this problem, you know, why do you yeah. put up with this? What, what was that like for you? Oh, definitely. That was hard because I think at the time since Nate has passed, I, I volunteer with, um, substance abuse users. So I've learned a lot more um, about them and I've had a lot more empathy, but hearing those things from people who don't get it, who haven't loved somebody with this issue, I can understand because they care for me. But at the same time, it was, it was really hurtful because here's this person that I love, you know, that I'm worried about that. I want to be there for him through all of this and having, you know, family or friends say, oh, you know, you should just leave him. Uh, you're better off. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? And then when we, we had our daughters, it made hearing those even, even more painful hearing those comments. So, um, you guys were together for about how long was it? Um, so it was November 21st of 2018, and then he passed away in August of 2021. So we really didn't have um, a lot of time together at all, which as far as like a serious relationship, but, you know, like I had said, he, he was such a good friend for so long. It's like, I feel like we've been together forever. Yeah. And, you know, about three years on one hand, doesn't seem that long. On the other hand, feels like a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, even if you oh, just for think sure. about you know, the amount. So I lost my husband July of 2021. So around the same time, and it just seems yeah. like 20 years instead of just a couple of years. So yeah, yeah those definitely. times can definitely feel a lot longer than sometimes it seems. So right. you had yeah. um, a couple of girls together and we did. Yeah. So we got uh, pregnant with our first, Evelyn, in June of 2019, and I was petrified, to be honest. You know, I have a 13-year-old from a previous relationship, so I feel like I've kind of already done the parenting thing, and here I am now, you know, starting completely over again um, with somebody who who has these issues. I was very afraid. Um you know, and I don't like to say it, but it's part of my story. I thought of terminating the pregnancy. Um, but I remember Nate, 
you know, begging me, you know, I, I want to be a dad, I would be a good dad, like, please give me this gift, like, please. And I thought, being naive, maybe this is what he needs to stop using drugs. So I'm like, okay, like, I know you very well. He was great with my um, oldest daughter um, for so many years. I'm like, okay, yeah, absolutely. Like, let's do this. You'll quit using drugs. Everything will be perfect. And we'll just have this happy little family. And uh, definitely, you know, obviously did not work out that way at all. Um, but then Evelyn was born and he was so attentive to her. He loved being a dad. She was just the greatest thing to him in the world. And he was really good at it. Um, I loved watching him, you know, play with her or feeding her or, you know, rocking her to sleep. Like it was, it was a side of Nate that I never really got to see. And I was there for it. Like it was beautiful. I loved it. Um, but then right, you know, the relapses, they still, they were few and far between after Evelyn was born. So I will give him that, but they still happened. And then I found out I was pregnant with our second daughter almost immediately. And again, I was terrified. You know, even if somebody doesn't have these issues, having two kids like that back to back would be challenging for, for any family, um, let alone, you know, these issues. It was It was scary, but you know, he's like, we're such a good team. Look at us go raising, you know, Caroline and Evelyn, like we're, we're kicking ass. We could do it. And, and we were, Nate was going to school. Um, he made a career change. He was making good money. I, yeah, I was like, okay, like let's do it. And so Madeline, we had her March of 2021. Okay. So there's us. <laughs> so you have these <laughs> beautiful girls in your life and your daughter from before and these two babies really yeah. um yeah. at the time that you lose him so do you mind to share the circumstances or what happened when you sure. found out that he had passed yeah so after we had Maddie I think um we didn't have the tools to navigate all these challenges together um, being that he was my partner and the person, you know, I saw every day, it was so easy for us both to kind of turn against each other. Um, so right before he passed away, we were living separately, still very committed to the relationship, but I think we just needed space. We had, you know, three kids, a dog, him and I living in a rather small house for a family that size. So he went to stay at his father's house, which is only like five minutes away from here. Um, I think it was August 22nd of 2021. We went, we took all the girls and we went to the lake with his aunt and uncle. We had a great day. It was awesome. It's like, we didn't have any problems in the world. It was, it was beautiful. And then we came back here. He, we dropped the kids off here. He hung out for dinner and then he had left to go back to his dad's. Um, it was a Sunday, so he had to work um, that Monday. And he had called me that night, Sunday evening, you know, to say goodnight and check in. And I could tell he had been drinking, but I didn't want to say anything. You know, I didn't want to start any drama or, you know, we had a great day. I didn't want to rock the boat. So I just kind of left it alone. Plus, he didn't have an issue with alcohol 
But I did notice that sometimes the alcohol led to those substances, but I didn't say anything. Um, and then I believe it was the next day I got a text from his employer asking if I had seen him. And I'm like, oh, you know, I knew right away that something he had relapsed or something happened. So I called him and sure enough, I could tell just by the tone of his voice that he was using. Um, and throughout his relapses, there were times that I had said some really cruel and hurtful things because I was angry. You know, here I am. I love you to death. You have all these kids. You have a house. Like, why are you still doing this? Um, he did explain to me, you know, when I am doing these things, I hate myself. I, I don't like what I'm doing. And I don't need to hear from the person I love most in the world how much of a POS I am. As angry as it makes you, like, if you, if you can't just be somewhat kind, like, let's just not talk at all understandable. So when Nate would relapse, we really didn't talk because we would just bite. And so I found out he was using, we talked a little bit about it. And then the next day I had woken up to eight missed calls from his father. Um, I sleep with do not disturb on. So I didn't get the calls and accompanying, accompanying the phone calls was a message. And it said, I keep trying to call you, but it goes to, to voicemail. I hate to tell you this, but I found Nathan's body. He passed away. Mm. And, you know, seeing that first thing when you wake up, it's like, oh, my God. So I, I ran downstairs screaming, calling him back, you know, please tell me you're joking. And he's like, of course not. I wouldn't, you know, joke about something like this. Um, my daughter, my oldest comes running up from her room in the basement, you know, thinking the house is on fire. I'm just, I'm panicking. And so I don't even know why, but I just got in my car and drove over to his father's house. And I think when I rounded that corner, it's when it really hit me because I saw, you know, the coroner van, all the police cars. And I remember parking and just beelining it for the front door screaming the entire time um the police wouldn't let me in and i'm grateful for that now because nate had actually passed away 24 hours before he was found so he had been dead for a day i was very angry at that time but you know hindsight looking back i'm grateful i didn't um, have to see that and I just remember the police asking me questions like, what was he using? Do you know anybody that he could have called? The usual. And without warning, all of a sudden, here comes, you know, Nate in a body bag um, being wheeled down his driveway. And I know they're just doing their job, but I remember sitting there thinking like, you couldn't have told us, like me and his father who are standing outside, you couldn't have given us, you know, a, a, a heads up because I think that's one of the, issues pictures that I keep replaying sometimes is is seeing that it was it was awful it was terrible and I went home and my family all came down and I just I remember sitting on my couch just sobbing like what am I gonna do I have a 15 or an 18 month old and a five month old and an 11 year old at the time like how am I going to do this it was terrifying, terrifying. Mm. Worst how, day of my life. 
And how do you muster up the strength to communicate that to your children, what has happened, what that means, and help them kind of understand what those next steps are? What, how did you do that? So for my little ones, they were too little at the time to really understand, but my oldest was old enough. And, you know, it's something I talk to her now that she's a teenager about a lot. Um, Nate died of fentanyl poisoning. Um, To me, an overdose is, you know what you're taking, you take too much, you pass away. Nate didn't know he was deceived. He didn't know that's what he was buying. He was trying to buy something else, come to find out. Um, So that's the difference to me. Um, A lot of people aren't seeing it in their substances. They just take it without knowing. So I I talk to my daughter a lot about it because she's old enough to understand and how dangerous it is, you know, and, and she struggles too. Her biological dad has never been really involved Um, So she sees, you know, me struggling, she's struggling. And I just, I really try to kind of keep an open door, you know, anytime that, you know, you need to talk, I'm here. Um, I want you to talk to me. Don't bottle this up. Um, But my, my little ones, they know who he is because there's pictures around the home, but I don't think they'll remember him at all. And I don't think they know you know, I tell them, oh, daddy's in, in heaven, but he's not coming back. And I just, I don't think they get it because they're still, they're too little. Yeah. They're still really young. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't even really begin to imagine just the trauma and the horror of seeing, you know, some of those things that you had to witness yeah. and just the adrenaline that must've been flowing through you. Oh at that gosh. Time. Yeah. And, dealing with all of that. Um, did you have any challenges or people make snide comments or did have you feel a difference of sympathy or support given the way that he died? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I've heard, oh, well, this had to have happened. Um, you know, so, so your kids wouldn't be subjected to it. And, um, to get you out of the relationship, the universe conspired for this to happen. Just horrible things. You know, Nate, 98% of our issues came from um, the the relapses. But other than that, I mean, it was pretty close to what I would say, for me, a, a perfect relationship. So those comments really hurt me. And I chalk it up to a lot of ignorance, I guess. While there is personal responsibility that falls on Nate for doing those things, um, this epidemic is unlike anything that we've seen before. It's it's taking a lot of people. And these are people, you know, that that are parents, uh, kids, their moms, their dads, their sons, their people love them, you know. And so I think, but there is a stigma tied to it, like, Oh, your, your husband chose this because of his actions. And that's, that's just not true. Nate would have never have willingly left us like this. No way. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And even in a situation like suicide or something where someone is making that choice, you know, it doesn't change the pain. So I think to your point, it's just people being ignorant 
sometimes I think people try to say something they think is going to make us feel better. Like, yeah, oh, it was meant to be, or, you know, right. this is the way of protecting your kids. At least yeah. they're not going to be subjected yeah. to this. And in actuality, it makes us feel worse for oh, totally what they're saying. So, you know, what Very is maybe hurtful. something that let's say, you know, I have a friend and they're in the situation that you were in early on. What are the words that you wish you would have heard more often? Or what are the things that people can do to really show their support for you as the family without having any judgment of how their person died? I think a lot of it for me is validating the pain. Um, Saying, you know, hey, this sucks and it's BS and it's not fair and I'm here for you and we can talk about it. You know, no judgment at all. Um, It doesn't matter how he passed away, he passed away and, and you're stuck picking up the pieces and that that's brutal. So I'm here if you need to talk, just, I think validating, because I think when someone passes like this or they unalive themselves, there's a stigma to it as, you know, oh, well, this must've been what they wanted. Like, why do you feel so bad? And it is so far, it's even almost more painful sometimes to an extent. Um, I also think people, when they talk about Nate to me, um, you can't remind me that Nate passed away. I I know that I think about it every day, but when you talk to me about Nate, you're reminding me that he lived and he had people that loved him and cared about him. So I would have loved, you know, friends or family, anybody like, oh, Nate and I, this one time we went and did X, Y, Z. Like, I love hearing those stories. And I think that's true for, for a lot of people that lose somebody they loved. Like when you bring them up, you're not reminding them that they died. Like, trust me, we know, (laughs) we know, but just hearing about them and talking about them. I think that that brings me great comfort. So that's something else people could do. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And one of the things that I've really tried to do with my family is just talk about it like it's normal. Like, oh, your dad would have loved this. He would have hated that. You know, remember that time we did this? And it's hard and weird and awkward in the beginning. But after you get through those first few initial times, it becomes just more normal and fluid and a great reminder. Because you probably don't feel like you get a lot of chances to talk about him in a way right. that doesn't make people uncomfortable or, you know, like, yes. how many times can I tell my sob story to people? Right. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, why don't you tell me about the time that, you know, you and Nate did something or you guys went and saw this concert. Like, I, I love hearing those stories because it keeps, it keeps him alive. You know, we have photos, videos, memories, and stories, you know, and, and that's it. So I really appreciate people um, sharing those things with me. I I think it's important. Yeah. So what would you say are some things that have helped as you've tried to balance? And I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes for a moment. You have an 11 year old and 18 month old. She was 18 and then a five month old, 18 month old baby. And you're trying to balance 
surviving and helping your oldest daughter, you know, process and maybe grieve some of this and taking care of those babies and taking care of you, how did you manage to not lose your mind during that time and to be able to heal? Um, so I think for the first few weeks, um, especially I really relied on my mom. I have a huge family, but my mom has, she's really been my champion. Um, I couldn't be in our house for a few weeks after he passed away. So we went and stayed with her and she was so hands-on with my kids. Um, but to be honest, I, I don't remember feeling like I'm getting through it. Like the first year was such a blur to me. Like, I don't know if you felt that, but I look back and I'm like, there, I, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. But I guess I, I that... did well, cause we're all here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're here and you're able to smile a little bit, which is good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I know that first year, you know, the brain, our brains really try to protect us from mm -hmm. feeling a lot. So it puts us in this, you know, adrenaline, almost fight or flight, just like survival mode. But then our, our brains are like really foggy and hazy. And there's so many weird things that did like, you know, I put my yes. car titles in the silverware drawer. I'm like, I, I don't know what yes. was happening. <laughs> yes. One time, but, I think it was, um, maybe a month after he passed, I was in the school pickup line to get my oldest and I just drove away without her. Like she, school didn't even get out. I was just sitting in the line and I just took off and I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? Like things so out of character, but I think you're right. I think our brain is just so overwhelmed and it's just trying to protect us. But that's one thing I do remember I did. That was terrible. <laughs> well, it, it happens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, I think the first, especially those first few months, it's about surviving and yeah. just what does it take to get through the day? Um, yeah. but is there any advice that you would have for, um, people who have kids and they're trying to help them and also help themselves, um, or even, you know, now being a couple of years almost out, you know, is, is there anything that you have found that's been helpful in having those discussions with your family? Yeah. Um, I think for my oldest, she's 13 now. Um, I have her now in therapy weekly, which has been huge. Um, she did try therapy shortly after he passed away, but she just wasn't feeling it. I don't believe therapy should ever be forced. Um, She's had some issues to where I feel like, you know, now it's, it's pretty necessary. So she does that. Um, you know, I, to help myself, I did therapy. I did a lot of EMDR work. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's, it's been monumental in my healing. It helps me so much. Talk, talk a little bit about EMDR. Cause I think a lot of people probably are not going to be familiar with that. Yeah. So it stands for, I believe, eye motion desensitization, like reprocessing. And so what it does is it brings traumatic um, images or experiences, memories um, to the frontal lobe of the brain where they could be reprocessed. And they do that by it's like eye movement. It's a really cool thing. Like, I don't, I don't know how it works, but it does. 
And so my therapist, like, for example, um, the body bag image, that was something that really bothered me for a very long time. So we focused on that and she would have me think about it while watching dots like go across because we do everything on Zoom. And it just, I still think about it, but I'm noticing ever since I've done a few sessions of EMDR, I'm not brought to tears or I'm not sitting there feeling um, a lot of sorrow when I think of that. So it's really helped just reprocessing that. I, I don't know how it works, but it does. I'm a big fan. I think if anyone's struggling to, to definitely give that a shot. Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. And I haven't tried that, but um, I have some images that haunt me as well. And so I thank you. I, I know um, the more time I would spend thinking about it, talking about it, like just continuing to bring it up, continuing to bring it up. I think over time you become a little desensitized to yeah. just the raw edge of that pain. So I can think Absolutely. about it now and, you know, occasionally I might still get teary eyed talking about it, but it's not nearly like it was where it would just be like a wave of grief and overwhelm, mm -hmm. just thinking about that one thing or wishing I could go back and rearrange, you know, what happened in that scenario. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I totally get going back and rearranging like there's, I don't have a lot of regrets. And I don't know if anything would turn out differently. But there's a lot of things I wish I would have done differently. And I, I really have to catch myself when I feel myself going into the would haves and could haves and should haves because I've spent a lot of time doing that. And it has been nothing but misery for me. So I really need to be you know, vigilant of that and, and just stop and say, well, this is, we're here now, you know, can't go back and change it as much as I want to, but. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that really helped me with that is, um, there's a, a book called the grief recovery method. Have you heard of that? I haven't. No. Okay. So it's, um, let me see if I have, okay. for those of you that, um, are not on video, I'm just holding up a copy of this book, the grief recovery method handbook. Okay. And there's also, um, like an eight week program that you can go through and it's really big about the continued where we feel guilty or we feel that sense of regret it's really because we wish things were better more or different in the relationship that yeah. we had and in those final moments and for me I just like I would keep replaying those images I would keep thinking mm -hmm. oh I wish you know when the EMTs came and picked him up I would have done this and I didn't or I wish um, you know I would have said this or not said this or whatever it is I felt like there were so many unresolved unsaid yeah. things and yep. this um it's the only evidence-based program in the entire world that has been proven, oh, wow. yeah it's been scientifically proven cool. to help people move through their grief and so for me when I went through that program I mean even though it was two years later I just felt so much lighter and like there were no things left unsaid there were no more unresolved loops. So I'm a huge advocate, <laughs> even if, you Oh my gosh, book, I'm totally, yeah, yeah. I'm going to um, put that in my notes. Okay. Yeah. And I'll include it in the show notes, uh, you know, for people watching as well, but oh, I'm a huge advocate great. for, for doing that to get past all of those, like, Oh, I really wish 
you know, I could have changed that because that was yeah. me too. Yeah. And I think I try to keep in mind too, you know, hindsight is 2020. We can't, we only learn after the incident occurred. So we can't like condemn ourselves for not knowing prior to. And so I really try to, you know, stick with that, but it's hard. And so I'm, I definitely want to check that out. Cause that is something um, that is still very relevant to me today. I, I still go into the woulda, coulda, shouldas and it sucks. <laughs> I think you will love it. I think you will absolutely awesome. love it if you go through Great. that. So, Great. Yes. so as we get to the end of our time, what final, you know, words of wisdom or advice or encouragement would you leave with someone who's walking in your shoes or, you know, who has a similar experience and story to you? Um, so definitely, I think a big thing for me is just to rely on people when they say they want to help most of the time they mean it. Um, you know, if somebody says, Hey, I would like to send dinner, like accept it, you know, just, just take the help as far as anybody who might have lost somebody in the same, um, way that uh, Nate had passed. I have found a lot in, of healing through, um, volunteering through with organizations that work on overdose prevention, um, that educate the public about it. Um, so for me, that's been monumental because unfortunately I, I can't save Nate. It's, it's too late for that, but hopefully I can, you know, save the next person and the next family from, from going through this. I think volunteering just in general, regardless, is a great way to get out of yourself, um, do something for someone else. And it's been huge in my healing. Yeah. And EMDR. I, I do recommend that highly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'll have to check into that more to see yeah, you know, exactly great. how that works. Cause it sounds really great, you know, for what yeah. you've been doing. And I know it's several awesome. people have mentioned doing that. Um, and I love that you're turning your pain into purpose and that you're Thank looking you. for ways to give back. Cause I think that is very healing yeah. too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. And I've met hopefully lifelong friends along the way doing that. So I, I love it every week for almost, I think it's been a year and a half. I've been doing that. So it's awesome. Good. Yeah. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and just thank being you. vulnerable and open. Uh, I appreciate it. And I know our audience will as well. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Widow podcast. I would love to help you take your next step, whether that's healing your heart, finding hope, or achieving your dreams for the future. Do you need a safe space to connect with other like-minded widows? Do you wish you had how-tos for getting through the next steps in your journey, organizing your life, or moving through grief? What about live calls where you get answers to your burning questions? The Brave Widow membership community is just what you need. Inside, you'll find courses to help guide you, a community of other widows to connect with, live coaching and Q&A calls, and small group coaching where you can work on what matters most to you. Learn how to heal your heart, find hope, reclaim joy, and dream again for the future. It is possible. Head on over to bravewidow.com to learn more.